good to see you this Lord's Day. For those of you online, I welcome you as well. It's good to be together today as we begin our Advent season. I don't know if you are aware, but today is the first Sunday of Advent. It's the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas, a season upon which we who hold and share the Christian faith uh, take this season to celebrate and recognize the coming of the Savior of the world, God in the flesh, the person of Jesus Christ, who came to dwell among us and to save us from our sin. Uh, we anticipate uh, celebrating his birth on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and this is a real high holy season for the Christian church. So I trust that you will take time uh, in this Advent season to give thanks to God for the great gift he's given to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to get into our message right away today, so I'm going to have you open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. If you want, you can follow along on the screen. For those of you who use devices or tablets, uh, the YouVersion Bible app is a good place. You can get that through our church app to follow along uh, with the text and also the notes. Before we get into it, I do want to pray us in, so please pray with me. God, thanks for your loving kindness towards us, for your word that guides us, for your spirit that is present in us to empower us and to equip us to live a life that we couldn't live on our own, a life filled with the fruit of the spirit as we love and serve one another. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so we continue in our series in Galatians. We're talking about what life uh, is like, uh, living a life of freedom in Christ every day, in every part, and in every way of our lives. Today is no exception. It becomes very practical and real for us. Uh, Sometimes, I'll be honest, it's hard to preach really practical sermons because they're just so practical that you look at them and go, oh, (laughs) Well, yeah, I knew that. It says that. And, and that's kind of the case today. So we're going to really uh, dive into what a life together within the family of God as brothers and sisters in Christ should look like as the fruit of the Spirit is developed in us and then lived out through us amongst one another. I want to take you back just briefly to Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, where Paul writes these words. He says, How foolish can you be after starting your new life uh, in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Remember what Paul is doing here? He's writing to combat some false teachers that stepped into the church and began to make a mess of things by telling people, you want Jesus, that's great. But what you really need to do is adhere to the law and be circumcised, become Jewish, and then you'll truly be saved. Where he's saying, whoa, 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 time out. No, 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 no. Salvation has always been by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. There's no other way. And so as he's beginning to develop this uh, argument throughout the book of Galatians, we come to chapters 5 and 6, and we have very practical teaching on godly living within the context of a faith family, especially how we are to relate to one another in the faith. And in chapter 5, verse 13, we read these words, you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sin nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up by this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. 
And last week, if you were with us, uh, we talked about uh, what it means to live a life empowered by the Spirit of God who is in us as believers. How the Christian life is impossible without Christ in us, that the power and the presence that we have to live the Christian life is really through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit that is in each one of us as Christians. That we are to not submit ourselves to our sin nature, but we are to die to ourselves so that we can live for Jesus. And in doing so, we submit to the control of the Holy Spirit that is present in us. And as a result, what happens is fruit of the Spirit is produced within us that then uh, is lived out through our lives. Let me remind you what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the virtues, the attributes, the qualities of a Christian that are demonstrated when we live Christ-like lives. And so that becomes the focal point of where we get into in chapter 6 as we consider uh, life together uh, among one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. What does the life in the family of God look like when a bunch of people who are spirit-led or spirit-filled demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit to one another? That's essentially what we're getting at. And so here, uh, Paul leads us into this argument, beginning in verse uh, 26 of chapter 5. We're going to read through uh, chapter uh, 6, verse 10. And so let's do that. So here we go. Follow along. Uh, Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in the same way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work. Then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their actions, or for their, I'm sorry, for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sin nature. But those who will live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest, a blessing, if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. I just read from the New Living Translation, in case you're wondering what translation that was. I chose it for today because it's a little bit easier to understand when you read large uh, portions of this. But let's take some time to expound on it and make sense exactly what Paul is saying here and how it applies to our lives as Christians. First of all, 
I think one of the things he's doing here is he's defining the relationship that we are to have with one another. Uh, It's important that we understand that we are to commit ourselves to healthy family relationships. When we commit ourselves to healthy family relationships, what we understand is that we must have a healthy view of ourself and a healthy view of the other, of our brother or sister. Now, specifically, Paul is talking about a faith family here. So I want us to make sure that we have that perspective in mind. The other thing is that one of the things that this passage will do for us is it will cause us to consider uh, how we not only relate to one another, but how we allow others to relate to us. Have you ever confronted somebody in a way that you thought was loving, only to have them react to you and say, thanks for caring, but my life is none of your business. Why don't you just stay out of my life for now? You ever experienced something like that? I certainly have. Well, I want you to know that as a brother and sister in Christ, your business is my business, and my business is your business. We truly are, according to God's word, each other's keeper. I am my brother and sister's keeper. You are your brother and sister's keeper. So our business does matter to each other. It matters for our personal holiness. It matters for the witness and testimony of the church. It matters for the advancement of the gospel. It matters so that the body can function together in a way that God intended us to live and function together. What Paul is going to do for us today essentially is show us how every part of our life is to be saturated not only by the Word of God, but to be led by the Spirit of God as the power of God is put to work in our lives. Remember a couple things from last week I said when it comes to the power and presence of God in our life is that if we don't say um, yes to Jesus and allow the Spirit of God to control us, our default position because we have a sin nature is to say yes to ourself and to gratify our sin nature. So it's important we understand we die to ourself so that we can live for Christ. So let's get back to this idea of committing ourselves to healthy family relationships and and, and the importance of how we view others and how others view us. Here Paul says in verse 26, let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Another translation might say envy. Well, what is a conceited person? To be conceited is to be somebody who thinks highly, very highly of themselves. To be conceited is somebody who we understand not only thinks highly of themselves, but oftentimes lives their life from a perspective of true vanity. In one commentary, the author writes, conceit can also be understood as a deep insecurity, a perceived absence of honor and glory leading to a need to prove our worth to ourselves and others. This in turn fixates our mind on comparing ourselves with others. And I want to pause here because when we think of 
being committed to healthy family relationships. What we must understand is who God made us, how he designed us, the way he gifted us, and the life he's calling us to live. He's calling you to live differently than your brother or sister in Christ in this way, that the gifts he's given you, he wants you to live with and live out. The gifts he's given to your brother and sister, he wants them to live with and live out. What we must not do is get in the business of comparing ourselves to one another and thinking that what somebody else has is better than what I have or thinking that what I have is better than what somebody else has. If we're conceited, we will lead a life thinking about ourselves only. And if not only, certainly thinking of ourselves before we think about others. It's likely then, as Paul says, that this is when a life of provoking, challenging others, or a life of jealousy or envy, which is wanting what somebody else has, takes root and becomes a reality of our life. According to the great theologian John Stott, and I would agree with his assessment of this, he says that Paul is talking about two different ways of relating to others in this passage. Provoking is a stance of someone who is sure of his or her superiority, looking down on someone perceived to be weaker. That's what he would describe as what it means to be provoking. How about envying? It's the stance of somebody who is conscious of inferiority, looking up at someone they feel is above them. Both of these positions take on a form of conceit. Why? Because in both cases, the person is more focused on themselves than they are on the other. For the one who is taking a position of superiority and living with that type of complex, they're always looking down at others, thinking they're better than others, as though they have something greater than anyone could ever have. For somebody else who lives in a a position of jealousy or envy of others, They're always looking up, wanting what others have, have a low self-view, a low self-image, a low understanding of who God made them and the gifts that he's given them. What we're going to realize throughout the rest of this passage now is that unless we properly view ourselves and our brother and sister and have a healthy view of what family relationships should look like, We'll never be able to live the life that God intended, us for, intended for us to live in the context of a family. And I think that Paul is simply pointing out that living a life of conceit or being conceited, it doesn't lead us to loving and serving one another. What it actually leads us to is tearing down and comparing ourselves to one another. And remember the command, love and serve one another. And here we get into this idea that all throughout, really, the New Testament, we're commanded as brothers and sisters in Christ to do a lot of one another's for another. Love one another, serve one another, care for one another, give to one another. Paul continues with that theme here as he helps us understand what it means to have a healthy relationship within the context of a family. 
If you're taking notes this morning, point number two is simply this. Commit yourself also to helping your brother or sister in need. The first one is that we're to be committed to having a healthy view of relationships as we see ourselves and others. But we're also to commit ourselves to helping our brother and sister in need. In verse 1 of chapter 6, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Now, this is one of actually four very practical ways upon which Paul tells us we are to help one another or help a brother or sister in need. The first one is simply this, that those of you who are spiritual are to go and help those who are sinning to get out of their sin. What does that mean? And what doesn't that mean? First of all, what it doesn't mean is that you are to call your pastor to go call somebody who is in sin so they can confront them about their sin. That's not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is, if you are a believer and the Spirit of God is in you, and you're living a life being led by the Spirit, then you have the responsibility to go to your brother or sister who is trapped in sin and lovingly and gently call them to account and help to restore them back to a right relationship with God. I hope what you heard there was lovingly and gently. The other thing is this. If you are a Christian and you're caught up in sin yourself, you are not the one called to confront another brother or sister who's caught up in sin to help restore them. You yourself need to be restored first. What this really is, is looking to those who are mature in the faith, who are walking spirit-filled lives, to gently and lovingly help bring restoration to somebody's life as a Christian who's been caught up in a life now of sin. You know, I can tell you, I have been confronted in my life. I have also had the privilege of confronting others with sin in their life. I can remember a brother one time in Christ was a social drinker, casual drinker. Alcohol was never an issue for him or his family. He went through some hard times, and instead of turning to Christ, he turned to the bottle. And it made a mess of family life. It made a mess of uh, his commitment and, and his place in the church. And so one of the things that I and a couple others did, we went and we gently talked to him with love. We embraced him. We challenged him and encouraged him to consider the choices that he was making. The good fortune of that situation was this, this. That brother identified his weakness and his sin. He repented of that. He restored his relationship with God, with the church, and with his family. And we're praising God for that today because of that. But I want you to see what 
word picture that Paul is really giving here in terms of how important this is. Just out of college, um, I was lifting weights one day and, and I was doing something I shouldn't have been doing with too much weight and my shoulder popped out. And so, of course it hurt and it was dislocated and it didn't work. And I remember going to the doctor and I sat down on the table and the doctor assessed me and he's like, yep, I can fix that. He's like, how you feel? I'm like, not good. And then he wanted me to do all these things and I couldn't do them. And I'm like, come on now. He's like, all right, well, I want you to know this is going to hurt. So he laid me on the table, grabbed my arm. I thought he ripped it off. He did not. He just put it back in. There was pain when I went. There was pain in the process. There was extreme pain when he did what he did. But the moment my shoulder went back into socket, I had no more pain and I had full functionality of my hand and my arm. This is the same imagery that Paul is giving us in how we are to help restore brothers and sisters in Christ. That you know when you're living in a pattern of sin, there's pain in your life and pain those around you. There's pain in the body of Christ because you as a member of the body, you're not functioning as you should. And when you're lovingly confronted on your sin and you get right, it's like popping that shoulder back into place and you can now not only be right with God, but you're right in the body of Christ. And the full function of the body is now restored again. See, when we confront others in their sin, it should not be to judge them or condemn them. It should be to restore them with love and gentleness. In James chapter 5, it says this, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Now, that's only the first of four ways that Paul calls us to help brother and sisters in need. The second is found in verses 2 and 3, and this is that we are to help by sharing in the burdens of life with those in need. Notice what he says, share each other's burdens and in the same way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help somebody, you are only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then, uh, for then, we're, we got to get on to that one and the next one because that's why I'm like, no, wait a minute, verses two and three, let's just stop there for a minute. And let me reread that so that I can focus and you can too. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think that you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Now, within the context of what Paul is saying, he's still talking about helping restore a brother or sister that is living in sin. But the same principle extends beyond just those living in sin who are being restored. After all, let me remind you that as a Christian, God did not make you to be a lone soldier. He made you to be a member of the body of Christ. If you think that you can go through the Christian life on your own, you're only fooling yourself. You cannot. You were intended to be somebody who is accountable to others and who you can hold others accountable to as well. If you are one who is 
trying to do the Christian life on your own and finding it to be challenging and miserable, well, there's a reason for that. You weren't intended to. We're to share the burden of life with one another. We're to help each other out, carry the weight of life that we cannot carry on our own. Let me give you a couple examples of this. Recently, I have a neighbor who just became a widow. One of the things that we realized is that she's now doing life on her own that her and her husband used to do for 40-some years together. There's just simply things, a weight in life that she's now bearing that she can't bear by herself. So we're going to help her. Many of you know of aging people in your life Maybe you're at a crossroads and they can no longer drive. Therefore, a degree of independence has been taken and they can't make it to appointments. They can't run the errands they used to. They can't get the groceries when they need them. To bear a burden with a brother or sister in Christ is to come alongside them and to help them in these matters. Another way we can consider bearing the burden in life. Some of you are in a real rocky marriage right now. Some of you are struggling with alcohol and maybe drugs. Maybe you have a porn addiction. Maybe you're just simply a chatterbox and you like to gossip. I don't know where you're at and what your situation is, but don't go it alone. Reach out to a brother or sister in Christ. Invite them into your life so that they can help carry the burden that you yourselves cannot carry right now so that you can live a life that's pleasing to God. If you know of somebody who's in trouble, be courageous enough to step into their life, not to judge them or condemn them, but to come alongside them, to help them and encourage them, to help bear the burden that life brings. Paul says it like this. He says, in doing so, you will obey the law of Christ. Well, what is the law of Christ? It's to be Christ-like in the way that we love others, to be selfless and sacrificial. It's to be giving of ourselves for the need or for the sake of another person. In John 13, verses 34 and 5, it says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The third thing we are to do by helping others is that we're to help by taking responsibility for our own actions and responsibilities as Christians. Now, verse 4, be, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. You won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. At this point, you might raise the question, that seems to be conflicting with what you've said based on verses 26 and verse 2. 26, we're to be mindful of the relational dynamics in our life as maybe we see ourselves and others, so we got to pay attention to ourselves. We also, in verse 2, it talks about there how we are to live our lives in such a way that we are to, to go to the other person and to bear the burden of another person. And now Paul's saying that we are to bear our own burden and we're to think of ourselves. How does this work? 
Well, it works just like that. Pay attention to your life closely. Don't compare yourself to a brother or sister in Christ. God has given you gifts and responsibilities. He's made you a body part in the body with the function that you are to live with. Nobody can live that life for you but you. Nobody can utilize your gifts but you. Nobody can do what God has given you to do in the body of Christ and in this world but you. And what Paul is simply saying is we need to take responsibility for our lives, for our actions, and for the gifts that God has given us. One of the things that helps us see the difference between the two burdens to bear is simply this. If I was to walk over to this piano and I was to move this piano by myself and it was too much for me to move, what would many of you do? Hopefully you would get up and help me move the piano. And if not, next time you see somebody struggling, just help them. But that's the thing that we should do for one another. What Paul's talking about in bearing our own burden in this situation or this context is more in reference to a backpack, a weight that we can carry. And it's, in fact, it's a weight that nobody else can carry for us. It's a weight that we are responsible to live out. I think too often in the world that we live today, especially parents, we love to enable our children to not carry the weight that they're responsible to carry. And in doing so, we're doing them no good and the rest of the world no good as well. Allow your children to be responsible. Help them to bear the weight and responsibility of becoming a young adult who is a contributor to society and who can contribute to the church as well. This person is disciplined in the Christian life, a life of pursuing holiness and love for other people. I guess the question we all have to ask is, are you living the life that God has for you to live? Are you using the gifts he's given you? And are you being responsible to be the person who God has created you to be? The fourth within this idea of helping others in need is found in verse six. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. I don't really know how to expand on this a whole lot other than it says what it says. For those who are called to be pastors and teachers among us, it is a church's responsibility to provide for us. And you do that well, and I thank you for that. Not just for me, but for the church staff who is also here, giving themselves to the advancement of the teaching of God's word. We are in this together. We are not in this alone, and I promise you, we're not in it to make a lot of money. That's not what Paul's saying, and that's not our reality. The reality is, as you have gifts to share, so do we. As we share our gifts of leading and teaching you in the way of the Lord, you share your gifts to help us with our needs as well. The third point this morning 
is that we are also to commit. We are to commit to sowing seeds that are worth harvesting. Here Paul says in verse 7 through the end of the chapter, or end of uh, verse 10, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sin nature will harvest decay and death from that sin nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest, a blessing, if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Paul takes an agricultural principle of sowing and reaping, of planting and harvesting, and he applies it to our lives morally and spiritually. Let me remind you that the Christian life is impossible without the Spirit of God in you. That's the person and presence of Jesus Christ. The Christian life is impossible without you submitting to the control of the Spirit in your life so that you can live the fruit of the Spirit through your life. The fruit of the Spirit is how we live life together as believers. So what we sow, we reap. What we plant, we harvest. If you sow to the flesh, Paul says, you will reap corruption. If you sow or plant to please your sin nature, then you will only gratify the desires of your flesh. And and let me remind you what those are. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. But if we sow to the Spirit, and we allow the Spirit of God to produce fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If that's what we sow the Spirit of God in our life for, then the outcome of our life will not only will our life be saved, but we will be a blessing to those around us. You see, you can't plant watermelon seeds and expect corn to grow. It just doesn't work, does it? What you sow, you will reap. What you plant, you will harvest. This is true in farming, it's true in gardening, and it's true in life. We sow to the flesh, then we're indulging in thoughts and actions that are self-gratifying, all about us. But if we sow to the Spirit, then we're going to engage in thoughts and actions that are pleasing to God himself. We do that when we spend time in prayer, when we saturate ourselves in the Word of God, when we gather together to worship God, when we place Jesus number one and we say no to ourselves and yes to Him. Sowing to the Spirit means that we live a life of love towards others that we truly live a life of sacrifice and selflessness to meet the needs of others. 
We love others best when we care for them, when we meet their needs, when we encourage them, and as we learn today, when we lovingly confront them. Not to judge them or to put them down, but to help restore them so that the body of Christ can be a place where people will experience the love of God. And then Paul says, we are to persevere in doing good. I don't know if any of you ever grew up on the farm or been on a farm, but I promise you this, farming's hard work from sunup to sundown. You persevere, you work hard, and then you wait and you wait and you wait and you hope and you pray that there'll be a harvest that comes from your good work that you've done. This is true in the Christian life. The seed that we plant today might not bring a harvest tomorrow. We all want it, don't we? We want to plant that seed today and rejoice in the blessing that comes tomorrow. But sometimes the seed that's planted needs to take time to germinate, to mature, to grow so that a harvest can come. And that's how we're to live our Christian life. Not growing weak or weary, but persevering and doing good. Relying and depending on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in us to live the Christian life through us so that we can sow seeds of blessing in people's lives that will produce a harvest worth reaping. Amen. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for the love that you have demonstrated to us in sending your son, Jesus Christ, as an atoning sacrifice. That in and through Jesus, not only can our sin be freely forgiven, but we can find a life of freedom, a freedom that will help us to love and to serve one another, a freedom that will bring to our lives when we submit to the Spirit of God fruit, the fruit of love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. God, help us to be a church family who loves rightly, who loves sacrificially, who is mindful of being committed to healthy relationships and family life, who is willing to commit to help a brother and sister in need, and who is committed to sowing or planting seeds worth harvesting. Love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Help us to love like you love us. In Christ's name, amen.